Welcome, Red Sox fans. Here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Welcome, everyone. The Bastards are back for this early week edition of the podcast. We are brought to you in part by the Minute Media Podcast Network. The Red Sox just wrapped up a four-game set against the Toronto Blue Jays, losing the series three games to one. It is their fourth straight series loss, fourth consecutive series loss. The Red Sox have slipped all the way down to four games behind the division-leading Tampa Bay Rays. Quick disclaimer, as always, for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Lewiston, Maine. You can harass me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. You can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Jason Kelly is not with us this week. He has a family obligation. So tonight joining me from Providence, Rhode Island, Charlie Smith. Charlie? You know, um, it's been a wild, fun week. Words have been exchanged. People have gotten pissy. It's been fun. And it's it's not fun when you call a losing series for the eighth or ninth time. Or I've called the series, I think, eight or nine times now. I've gotten it right. And you're you're up eight to four. And I actually got a message from somebody that said, hey, looks like they're going to win. I was like, it looks like it. And uh, just didn't happen. So it, it's been tough. It's been real hard. Yeah, Red Sox Twitter is uh, on fire. Like it's it's burning right now. People upset. They're emotional. Blaming it on certain things. We are going to get into a lot of that. And I will tell the audience right now, we're not going to go with our normal format tonight. This will just be a... Um, it'll just be a kind of a freestyle group therapy venting session. So just real quick, we're going to just get to the, uh, scores of the games real quick. And we will talk about the, the series, uh, briefly, but Friday night, the Red Sox lost that game. That was the Evaldi meltdown in the fifth inning. They lose that one 12 to 4. Lose game one of the doubleheader 1 to nothing on a first pitch home run given up by Matt Barnes in the seventh inning. Game two, the Red Sox squeak out in extras with a 2 to 1 win. And then today, as Charlie said, we were up. Eight to four, ended up choking badly in the last few innings. Lose that one nine to eight. Kind of felt like we got kicked in the pubes. That we did, Terry. Attention listeners across the galaxy, all the way from Australia to Houston. Do we have a pube problem? If so, our friends at Manscaped have cleared you for takeoff with their fourth generation and brand new lawnmower 4.0. Kick your pubes to the next planet with the Performance Package 4.0. The orbits in your pants will feel like you're in zero gravity when you use the best tools for the job from the leaders in male grooming. Join the two million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get your rocket ready for takeoff by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20. Don't forget to use Crop Preserver, Ball Deodorant, and their Crop Reviver to help your little planets be on their A-game while feeling the sun's heat. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. 
Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. For a clean trinity and beyond, your space balls will thank you. You're so much better at that than I am, Charlie. My monotone, nasally voice, just not good for commercials. So, And if anybody's wondering why we're doing the commercials, we have joined the Minute Media Podcast Network, so we're kind of obligated to. I have long resisted doing commercials uh, previous to that, but there's pros and cons when you when you join a network, so... Uh, that that's just something we have to deal with, but we get out of the way early, and then the second commercial is at the tail end, so we try not to bombard you guys too bad. Uh, so I guess let's just kind of get into the series uh, quickly here. Um, two two to nothing lead in the fifth inning, which you're never gonna feel good about with the Toronto Blue Jays in the opposing dugout, but Evaldi was doing his job. Maybe we get to their bullpen a little bit. It, it was a winnable game. We weren't getting killed right out of the way. But then the avalanche in the fifth inning. And he's our number one starter for the next week. It was pretty uh, pretty disappointing. I, I, I hadn't seen a game unravel that quickly all season long. I had no words. Because if you went outside to go walk your dog and you came in... I think there's only one expression, and we can't even say it. And it it starts with what the – you can fill in the blank there, folks. But if you went outside and you left it at 2-0, 2 nothing, and you came back and saw that, you'd kind of wonder what happened. And I thought this was going to be the one game we won in the series. I thought we were going to go 1-3. and three. And while we finished 1-3, and three, I didn't think we were going to get the, the door blown off in the first game in the fifth freaking inning. I mean, not only did Evaldi suck, your reliever sucked. Your best reliever isn't a reliever, at, at least in game one. That was brutal. That was absolutely brutal. It's his second bad performance for Evaldi in a row. He's averaging five innings. He's averaging six and a half earned, and he's had five strikeouts. He's averaging a strikeout an, an inning, but what's happening? Like, this was the guy that was like, I wish we could just face the Yankees every single time he starts because he just lights them up. It just, it was awful. It hurt. Yeah. And then game two, Nick Pavetta pitching way better than I thought he was. They didn't even get a hit until I think like the fifth inning. And I, I was mostly listening to that game on the radio and he gives you six good innings. They were held at bay, and then Barnes came in, and then on the first pitch, the first pitch to Marcus Simeon wasn't a terrible pitch. It was middle end, sort of, but Simeon was apparently, that, that was his happy house, and he launched it over the uh, left field wall. So that, that one, again, another gut punch. Happy House. That's a new one. We can start calling that one from now on. Happy House. It's insane that six innings of one hit ball and it got spoiled. He allowed one hit in six innings. Matt Barnes throws one pitch, matches him in hits, and loses the game. This was Matt Barnes' second blown save of the year against Toronto. He blew one early this year and are like, okay, crap, he's blown two now this year. That sucks. That stinks for Matt Barnes, who really is playing for... You know, he's trying to play it off to be the closer of Boston. It's not a lock anymore. Like, this was a very winnable game. Why did we struggle? Who was the starter for Toronto? Correct me if I'm wrong. It was Robbie Ray who's having a rejuvenated season. He was a joke. People wrote him off and were done with him. And he comes back and throws two-hit baseball, shuts out Boston, Romano comes out, closes the door, and that's it. And now you're down 0-2 in the series. It was brutal. Again, two gut punches in a row. Finally, game three. The Red Sox eked that one out, but and 
admittedly, I fell asleep, so I didn't see it live. I had to go back this morning to watch uh, the last. I don't remember. It was, let's see. I think it was the start of the fifth inning. I remember Taylor coming in. Then I uh, apparently blacked out. And, yeah, so then it goes into extras. And the bullpen was pretty good. I know Ottavino had a pretty good appearance. And then Jonathan Arauz with the runner on second base, which was Franchi Cordero, managed to punch one uh, through the gap in, in, uh, in left field. And that gave us the go-ahead run. And uh, I think it – wasn't it Ottavino that closed it out? I'm pretty sure. Uh, I actually was screaming in the car, but it was Ottavino who ended up getting the yeah, save. that was Barnes Ottavino. Barnes ended up getting a win in that game. Yeah. The, the, the crazy thing about that was in the top of the seventh inning, they, they led the inning off with a walk. And you sat there like, okay, like this is okay. Like we're, we're, we're getting work done. And then uh, Vasquez had an infield single. So now we have first and second with no outs. Marwin Gonzalez gets caught in the dumbest pickoff play attempting to try to get to third. Just stupid. Now, I didn't watch it, but I heard it on the radio driving home from work. Why was I upset? Marwin Gonzalez is not Jaron Duran. He's not like the ghost of Ricky Henderson. What the hell are you doing straying that far off the base pass? There's no outs, you idiot. There's literally no outs. What are you doing? And then Cordero strikes out, and Vasquez gets caught stealing third because he advanced to second base after the the little rundown and whatnot. So Vasquez thinking he's Jaron Duran. It was the most pathetic inning of base running I've seen Boston have this year. I mean, there have been a couple dumb ones this year, like uh, Jankowski for Philadelphia, where um, the catcher for, I believe it was Washington, came out and just kept, I think it was Washington, kept faking the throw, faking the throw. And Jankowski was like a deer in headlights, paralyzed, didn't know what to do. Catcher came out and tagged him out. The catcher came out from behind the dish and tagged him out. (laughs) This was so pathetic. And Marwin Gonzalez continues to get chances because he's best pals with our manager. I'm sorry, but at one point, nepotism can't continue to rule the roost. You suck. You suck, and you blew the top half of the seventh inning. You are so lucky we didn't blow it in the bottom of the seventh because we would have been swept in the series. You are so lucky that we scored a run in the top of the eighth. And that was a questionable like chance because... If, if the defense was set up a different way, that very well could have been different. Thank God you had a runner second base. It was it was awful. It was awful. Yeah, yes, that, we won, though. That was in the seventh inning, and both of those blunders on the base pass. And Marwin just fell asleep. He just he wasn't paying attention, and he was too far off the bag, and 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 they got him. And so when you when you see both of those blunders happen. You're like, there's no way this game's going to result in a win. It's just nothing is going right. It's getting worse. Frustration probably had to do with with Vasquez's mistake. You know, he's just trying to make something happen, and it just wasn't a smart decision on his part. And, yeah, and about Marwin, he and Cora go back to the, the Astros. You know, Cora was his bench coach. And... I was just I couldn't pull the stats up quick enough, but Marwin hasn't been any good since Houston. He hasn't had trash cans in Minnesota or Boston. It helps when you have trash cans, man. It really does. <laughs> it and, does. Uh, it's it's just awful. He's he's awful. I mean, this is another move where I'm sitting here scratching my head. Hyam Bloom has added all the pieces that are just making me scratch my head and leave me wondering, are we just adding players that Alex Cora just loves? Because these are not good signings. And, and don't get me wrong. There have been a couple that have panned out. Garrett Whitlock did great. He was my stud in, in game three. Like I had four studs and four duds. And one of my duds was the, was the same guy twice because Barnes blew it twice. And I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, yeah, we haven't given Marwin enough chances. He's been okay. He's had moments. 
but he's had more moments of uh, lights are on, but nobody's home. And getting picked off at second base or in that little run, it's just, it's inexcusable. It's just inexcusable. And continuing to trot him out there with the likes of Bobby Dahlbeck, it's it's borderline irresponsible. And I've used that expression before. You're not setting your team up for success. And the bottom of that lineup is just, it's a bunch of zeros, man. Yeah, I mean, your right side of the infield, first base, Red Sox are 28th right now in Major League Baseball. That's what they rank amongst the other teams when it comes to production at first base. Additionally, they have more strikeouts at that position than any team, period. That We've never seen first base that bad. I mean, when, when maybe after we traded Adrian Gonzalez for the last two months of that year with James Loney. I mean, when, when, when has it been worse? <laughs> I, I honestly couldn't tell you because that hasn't always been our, our worst issue. We've had closer problems and then we've had people fill in. We've had bullpen problems and people have filled in. We've had starters go down and that's been an issue. And that's usually a pretty glaring hole. Your rotation doesn't look great, but your issue at first base it's up there with the back end of your rotation because Richards and Perez can't get it done as starters and as we've witnessed with Perez as a reliever. And while we think we may have fixed the hole with Hauk and Chris Sale coming up, your glaring hole is now a position where you're supposed to get power. You're not getting power. You're getting a big goose egg. It's, it's inexcusable. I mean, this is the last two months from the beginning, July 1. And we can go back to June 12th for Marwin Gonzalez, for example, since we were talking about him. Since June 12th, almost two months, he has two RBIs. Two. I wish I could make this up. It's how, it's just awful. How many extra base hits, like doubles or whatever? Ooh, he didn't have any extra base hits so far in August. He had none in July. And then in the month of June, he had five. But from the 12th on, he only had two. Just okay. two. Yeah, you know? so he's he's been pretty bad. And he, he's been injured for a little while, too. But, all right, so here's the question I asked on social media. And, and this is what we'll spend the next probably 20 or so minutes talking about. Mistakes got made throughout the year as far as roster decisions, okay? So were the majority of the mistakes made last winter, say with the Perez-Richard signings, and then some some others as well, Marwin, for instance, maybe not having some depth at, at second base. Uh, so were they made then or were they made at the deadline by simply not doing enough? Like, where were the biggest mistakes that got us into this free fall? Oh, that's be- before the season even started. I mean, here's the thing. This team last year was not good. The team was not good. I projected 23 and 37, and Al Nahigian and I were talking about this together, where he said, dude, this is this is a 30-30 team. I was like, are you out of your mind? Are, are you, like, what are you smoking? Because if you want to share that with the rest of the crew, that'd be great. This team's not winning 30 games. And slowly but surely, the dominoes started to fall. Sales not coming back. Erod's got myocarditis. You have no idea what's happening with the rest of your rotation. You got Evaldi or what's left of them, and that's it. You really had no pieces. Martin Perez was good sometimes. And then you had a bunch of reliever garbage players on there too. This year, they severely overperformed. You were depending on Garrett Richards, who hasn't had a healthy season in six years, and we're expecting him to be like the second coming of Christ. It's not happening. Martin Perez, we already knew what was happening there. We didn't have Chris Sale. Tanner Houck wasn't in the rotation. You were expecting this team to do great with the addition of Richards and Perez. Now, here's the thing. I was against Odorizzi from the get-go. I have been against it since day one. Jake Odorizzi would have been a better option than Garrett Richards. Cole Hamels just signed a deal with the Dodgers. Cole Hamels hasn't pitched all season. I would have rather taken a flyer in Cole Hamels because he's getting a better deal than Richards in the sense of being team-friendly. Corey Kluber signed with the Yankees. I'm still, you know, he's still my guy. I won't boo Corey Kluber. 
but there were other options out there. Carlos Rodon got signed by the White Sox. Red Sox completely got fluffed on that. They didn't even look at that. White Sox figured, okay, cool, we'll, we'll give him a shot. We'll see what happens. Maybe he can turn it around. The Red Sox could have had Carlos Rodon. They didn't get him. Instead, you put all of your eggs in the Garrett Richards and Martin Perez basket. I have been on the record against Garrett Richards since before the season started. How he hasn't blocked me blows my mind because he's literally my dud even when he doesn't play in, in the series. I mean, he's that bad. I, I've said that you know Matt Hall was my dud for each series. Garrett Richards was my dud for the year. He's been that bad. You could have amped up and done something if you were going to try to pretend like this team was going to be taken seriously. You didn't. And because of that, I've had every justifiable reason to say there will come a moment, whether it be injury or otherwise, where this team could fall. And you're still going to have the dreamers thinking, oh, this is just a minor setback. Really? Seriously? You just watch your team get spanked. You're 3-10 and 10 in your last 13. I said this several weeks ago. This team will lose another three games before the end of the month and possibly another three by the end of September. You lost three games in the next series. How bad are you? This is inexcusable. People can get upset about, oh, the fact that they only signed Kyle Schwarber and, and Schwarber hasn't played. And he had a setback today. It was announced today he had a setback. So we don't even know if he's going to play in a week or two weeks. We don't know. Hamstring problems can linger. And, and truth be told, there's no point to rushing him back. There's, there's really no point. Chris Dale's going to be coming back on Saturday. We haven't had him in almost two years. You did nothing to support Chris Sale and Nate Avaldi, who had his second bad start in a row for, in my opinion, the first time this year where he's given up six runs and seven, five and seven earned. He got rocked. He got shelled. But you did nothing. Nothing. You cannot win without pitching. Pitching is what wins ball games. Offense helps, but pitching is what wins in the playoffs. I said 25% chance this team can get into the playoffs. 25% chance. This is now a dogfight. Because if you continue to lose series, we're facing Tampa Bay next. That's not a cupcake. That team has our number. If we split or if we take two out of three, that's going to be a godsend. That's going to be an absolute godsend. I, I haven't even uh, looked at the matchups for that series. And, and Terry, if, if you've already seen them or you got them in front of you, I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to hearing what you have to say as far as input. But uh, unless, like, you know, Sale's not even pitching that series. He's pitching in Baltimore. Or against Baltimore, excuse me. I, I'm nervous. I'm very nervous about this. But, yeah. yeah well, getting into the uh, original question first... I was anti-Garrett Richards, as the audience knows, and as that signing happened, like a lot of the big fish were off the board by that point. And, you know, and I glanced at, at Garrett Richards, and I, I wasn't overly familiar with him. I mean, he'd only pitched 76 innings in the last five years. Seemed like he was always on the injured list and being primarily on the West Coast. I mean, we're not staying up too late watching a lot of those games most of the time. But at quick glance, I'm like, there's no way Bloom's going to sign this guy. Look at the risk. And is the performance going to be there? And then we got him. And it was a rough start. He did string together five, six, seven decent starts, I guess. I'll give him that. And then the sticky stuff banning happened. And he's, other than today, he he did pitch a very good game in the in the finale. But, um, or I should say it worked out very well. <laughs> he wasn't super lights out. But, but that's been a fail. The Martin Perez experiment has been a fail. He's never put a full season together literally ever. He's a career 460, 470 guy. I was, I thought he was going to have a decent season based off the way he started, but he didn't. And I feel dumb for thinking that he was. And the big, the big word I threw around 
on all those preseason shows and, and even through the course of the first five or six weeks of the season was sustainability. Could the Red Sox be sustainable from a performance standpoint and from an injury standpoint to when Chris Sale came back and, and maybe Hulk, well, we thought Hulk was going to be up the whole time, but maybe when Seabold got, got called up, all those fresher arms that were going to come up from the minors, could we be sustainable? And we weren't. We weren't sustainable. And we're getting Sale back about a month too late. If you get him back a month ago, okay, all right, we're we're in good shape for some of these tough series. How they got him going as quickly as they could. He had elbow problems. You can't rush that. It took a little while to get stretched out, but ideally we would have got him back a month ago at full strength, and we didn't. So all of my sustainability questions from spring training have come back to bite us. And then there were holes in the in the lineup we didn't know how good hunter renfro may or may not have been and he was on fire there for about five or six weeks but looking at his stats right now in the last 30 days where is he right here he's hitting 202 with a 269 on base so we've seen some regression there he's helped the team defensively so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna knock him and, and and in the last 30 days he does have five doubles and five home runs so we're not getting he's not being super unproductive but he's not quite what he was before the month of July and I w admittedly I thought Christian Arroyo was gonna work out well but he can't stay healthy for more than five minutes so. You take all of that, I'm going to say, to answer that question, the bigger mistakes were made last winter. But even coming up to the trade deadline, with a few days left to go, I went into it thinking, okay, Bobby Dahlbeck's probably going to get optioned because we're going to address that. One of Garrett Richards or Martin Perez probably doesn't make another start after this. Even if it's... Even if it's just a, like a Kenta Maeda guy, don't I'm not asking for Max Scherzer. It would have been nice, but I just figured we would get another body to plug in there that would give us a little bit more of a chance to win, and that didn't happen. So all we got was Kyle Schwarber, who's not even who doesn't even have a timetable yet. <laughs> we have no idea when he's going to be with the Red Sox, and Bobby Dahlbeck is still starting games. Still striking out a ton. He did drive in a couple of runs today, but he does that like once every 10 days. So so the next eight or nine days, probably not going to be that productive. So I'll say this in, in addition to what you just said. It would have been great to get Max Scherzer in 2015. But instead we signed Pablo Sandoval and Hanley Ramirez. And then that opened the door for adding David Price and overpay. It was, uh, I think it was 217 million for that contract. And we, we're still paying it. We're still freaking paying the damn contract. Um, it's been tough, but we had opportunities. We did not fulfill those opportunities. And I think the primary obligation that Haim wanted to, to meet was we do not want to go over that number. We want to reset it for next year. And when we got Kyle Schwarber, I thought, wow, this is very uncharacteristic. We're actually making it look like we're trying. But adding Kyle Schwarber at the deadline was like adding Martin Perez and Garrett Richards. You're just filling spots. Are you really being serious? I don't know if I can say that. Because you're asking Kyle Schwarber to join a team not healthy and play a new position. You're filling holes and hoping that it's successful. That's like playing the game Battleship. You're guessing. And you don't always hit on every edition. I will say this much in your defense. A week or two, two weeks ago, I forget, you drank the punch on Hunter Renfro. I'm not going to fault you for that. I don't think anybody can. Because for what you're paying him for, 
he is more than delivering. He's doing more than what's asked. I, I thought, you know, if, if we get 15, 20 home runs out of Renfro, I'll be happy. Renfro already has 18 bombs and 60 ribbies. He's hitting just a, just a hair under 250 for a couple million dollars. That's not a bad Heim signing. That's worth $3 million. But for an additional five or six, you got Garrett Richards. And then there's an option year. There's no way I'm touching that option. He's not even tradable. You can't even trade Garrett Richards. No team would say, oh, yeah. That's like asking them to hold a stick of dynamite that's already on fire and politely asking, I'll be right back. Just don't let go. Just don't let go. Or like a hand grenade without the pin inside. Like, how, how long can you hold this? You filled spots. You did not take the offseason seriously. And that's okay. That's okay. Because there are other teams out there like the Dodgers and the Mets and the Padres that did take it seriously. And it's, it's their turn. It's their time. I respect the fact that you didn't go all in for nothing. Because truth be told, we would not have won the World Series this year. I don't think we would win the World Series in 2022 either. There are other teams that are stocked and stacked and ready to run the table for the next four to five years. You also have looming free agent issues. Xander doesn't want to be here. JD could potentially opt out. Devers, we still don't know. On the radio, they were using the terms. We're not going to use the term rebuild. We're going to use the term bridge year because bridge doesn't imply the fact that we're going to be throwing the season. If you say rebuilding, that reminds me of the Astros for three seasons when they just threw three years of baseball to get the top pick three years in a row where they were able to land Carlos Correa. This is a bridge year for the Red Sox. It's a bridge year. We're just kind of figuring it out. and We're going to plug and play and do what we can do. But we're not throwing the season. We're not throwing it. This is just a bridge year. We'll be ready for 2022. Just wait. That's where we're at. We also added a bunch of super utility guys. Marwin was one of them. Kike was one of them. Danny Santana can play multiple positions. And you know that at least two of those three have failed when Franchi Cordero gets converted into a first baseman or when you trade for Schwarber and try to make him a first baseman. And if that fails with Schwarber, Bobby Dahlbeck stays at first base. You have no other solution. Or, well, maybe Franchi could get more time, but that he hasn't been, you know, a ball of fire either. So it's extremely disappointing. And looking ahead to this winter, if if there's some viable guys that would probably command, say, a three or four year deal at higher annual values, you know, say in the 10 to 20 million range, and they're a good fit for us, I don't even want to hear the word luxury tax. I don't want to hear it. If you can lock up a solid player for four years, a Nick Castellanos type guy, perhaps, someone like that, I don't want to hear the word luxury tax. I want to come in to opening day 2022. I'm pretty sure that's going to be against Tampa next year. I want to go into that game thinking that my team is the favorite to win the division. And any expectations less than that, that's a fail for me. We shouldn't we shouldn't have major question marks next season. When you look at the list of free agents that you're going to have next year, you're going to have a lot of options at starting pitching. A lot of them are in their mid to upper 30s. Uh, Bauer technically is going to be a free agent. I want no part of that. I want none of that with that BS and that butt baggage. That is a nightmare just waiting to unfold in Boston. We just don't need that. Grinky's 38. I believe he's a free agent this year coming up. Verlander, I don't want to touch that. It'd be cute to have gotten him years ago. We're not going to get him. Um, Scherzer, I think, is a, a free agent. I'm not 100% on him. He is. Okay, so that's another one. And then the name that I would love to target, it's going to cost a pretty penny, would be Kevin Gaussman. 
I would love to get Kevin Gausman. I would love to get him. You stack that with Chris Sale and Nate Evaldi healthy. Maybe Siebel does some work in there and Tanner Houck. I'm okay with that. Pavetta could be potentially the, the odd man out, or if Erod's not there, Pavetta's in there. That would be awesome. I, I would totally, I would totally pay to get him. I don't want Marcus Stroman. I don't want Stroman at all. I want no part of that. There are certain pitchers that I'd be willing to go for, and there are others that I would say, nay, nay, no thanks, not even worth it. Unless they're willing to take like a team-friendly deal and say a one-and-one will give you $12 million with a you know, potential team option for 14 or 15 if you want to take the chance on that, sure. But there are – I mean, this is going to be an interesting year. It's going to be a very, very interesting offseason because I'm curious to see if, if Ryan Bloom is going to take this seriously. He didn't take it seriously last year. He just plugged holes. That's it. That's all he did. He never took this seriously. I would take Grinky or Scherzer on a one- or two-year deal. No problem there. I mean, I think you have to offer at least two years. The Verlander deal from a couple years ago is basically the comp, and unfortunately he had Tommy John in the second year of that. I'll also agree, though, that I would probably stay off of Verlander because he's going to be 38, 39, something like that. And even, never mind his elbow, how's his shoulder going to hold up after not throwing for a couple years? So too many question marks. That has John Smoltz. 2009 written all over it to me when the Red Sox took a flyer would have been a great story didn't work out and Justin Verlander by the way I have said this before on the podcast is my favorite non-Red Sox player basically of this era I just I've always been a huge Verlander guy and no it's got nothing to do with his wife Kate Upton who seems to get way more glory than she deserves yeah no it's I can confirm that that's your main man. Yeah, I've always been a big Verlander guy, but realistically, 2022 uh, is not the time to to try to live out that fantasy. So I just want to I want to go into next year with no question marks. I don't want any cute looking signings that that are going to get the Hein Bloom huggers going. Oh, that was so brilliant! You know, I let me ask you a question. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Would you be willing to go five or six years, 27 to 28 million per for a guy like Kevin Galsman? How, how many years again? Five or six. He's 30 years old. Five or six, yeah. I think he would end up in the 20 to 25 area tops, but... He's blowing every team away, and he's playing for the Giants, and they don't have the most lethal offense. He's got a 2.31 ERA. Like, this is a guy that's absolutely lighting it up this year. He, he was doing great in San Francisco last year, too. Couldn't really crack it in Cincinnati the year before that. Just wasn't that good, but he finally figured it out. It was like Trevor Bauer figuring it out before his whole incident and, and madness happened. He just He just got it. It would shatter me if Kevin Gaussman was one of those guys that ended up getting accused and like revealed that he was cheating because he's he's insane. He's got a point nine four five whip. Like that's insane. Yeah, I, I guess the number of years would probably scare me off because his record of success is just basically twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. So a season and a half by that point. So I just I think there's a bit of risk with signing a player like him, but I wouldn't light my house on fire like I wanted to after the Garrett Richards signing. So then in a perfect world where all the stars align, which is an expression that I use regularly in, in most scenarios, who would you sign and how much would you give them? Because I'm not giving Clayton Kershaw thirty million and I'm not giving Grinky thirty million. I would give Gaussman more money than both of them. Not combined, but I'd give them more. Yeah, I don't have – well, first of all, I guess I would give Scherzer a two-year deal and have okay. have no problems with that because it's it's short-term, and if you get burnt, you get burnt. And we're, we're going to have bodies in the rotation. We will. Regardless. So I'm not worried there. What's Noah Syndergaard looking like right now? As far as let me actually take a look because uh, the last I checked about him, it was rumored that he was going to be coming back. 
he started uh, throwing off the mound. Um, but it's still being – it's just progress towards a return. There's no there's no day in particular because he just began playing catch since the end of June, and he's now moved to 75 and 90 feet over the last couple of weeks. That's uh, what has been – that's essentially what's come out about Syndergaard. But I'm nervous. I'm nervous to get somebody like that because in 2020, he underwent Tommy John – and hasn't pitched in a game since the end of 2019. September 2019 was the last time that he pitched. I I just, I don't know. Like, if he's willing to do a prove-it contract, okay, cool. Like, all right, right on. Then, okay, I'm willing to possibly take a chance on that because you bring that in. Yeah, and I was kind of hoping he was further along than that. If he doesn't make a single start this year, or, or even like three starts, let's say, I wouldn't touch him anyway. But I thought he could be an interesting one-year uh, prove-it guy. Because let's face it, nobody's t- he's going to do that anyway. Uh, who's going to unload the truck for him without seeing Nobody. it? Nobody. So Right, right. So maybe a, a situation like that, I'm out on Strowman, uh, just like you are. Even if he won the Cy Young this year, I wouldn't be in on him. I think he's a punk. I think he'd be toxic in the clubhouse. No one likes him. Yeah, I'm not a Strowman guy. So it's not the deepest market next year when it comes to starting pitching. So... Hopefully there'll be some upgrades, maybe a middle infielder, for instance. And you could go a three- or four-year deal, maybe even five years on the right guy because you don't even know if Xander's coming back after 2022. You don't. I actually want to think about this for one second because you talked about if Noah Syndergaard doesn't pitch again in 2021, I actually would love to see him come back but not as a starter. I want to see him come back as a reliever and help out that team down the stretch because they're not completely out of it. I I, I picked the Mets to, to win it. I know I think I was one of two. I think it was Zach that also picked at the beginning of the year. Everyone else picked Atlanta, and Atlanta fell apart. They lost Acuna. That was it. Game over. He's making $9.7 million this year, and he hasn't pitched. He hasn't pitched. So what is his market going to look like? Will the Mets give him a three-year deal? I doubt it. I think it's going to be a two and one with a prove it deal. He's probably going to make something like 20, 25 to 27 million for the next two years. And then a, a potential team option or team player option for the third year. He's 28 years old. He's still a kid. He's got plenty of time left to, to figure it out. But it's not the only hole we'd have to fill. We, as you mentioned, we have to get another bat in there. Do I want to get Castellanos? I think. It really matters. Oh, it'd be be adorable if we could get something like that in there. But then what happens with, you know, third base? Where does Devers go? Does Devers become your new DH? JD opts out. That fills a hole. So that's that. Cassiano comes in to play third. No, no, no. He's an outfielder. I could have sworn he also played third base. You're not thinking of Bryant? Let me – actually, I'll take a look. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's primarily an outfielder, which we would have a need for. So you're, you're absolutely right. So a couple years back when he was in Detroit, he played third base. They have since shifted him over to just being a corner outfielder, uh, now just a right fielder in DH. So I, 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 mis- I was mis- uh, mistaken there, but he was a third baseman just a couple years ago. And in my mind, I thought that was still the case. Yeah, no, all good. But I would take him on a three-, four-year deal. I mean, he's, I think, right around 30, so – that that's just one option but like i said i want to see hein bloom surprise people and we haven't seen it yet we haven't seen anything outside the box yet he can build a farm system but as a big league executive making roster decisions on the big league club questionable pretty questionable there there won't be any constraints next year let's put it that way i agree 
it, it's going to be uh, you need to show that you're taking this seriously because if you don't, then they're going to think for the third straight year you're just you're just playing with fun money and, and you're not taking your job seriously. You see your former colleagues opening up the pocketbook and doing what they need to do to ensure their team has a successful year and a successful future while out while also not having to sacrifice your future by mortgaging your top prospects. This is this is what teams are doing. Some are overpaying, but the smart ones are not. And the Dodgers are doing the smart thing right now. Yes, they are. They are getting some some pretty pieces, but they're not mortgaging their farm. Absolutely. So why don't we? We're at the forty-five minute mark. We'll just shift into this Tampa Bay series. Ugh. I'm on the wrong. It's, uh... it's good. So we got Rodriguez going up against Patino. So Rodriguez, it'd be nice to see him come back and do some work. I'm a little bit concerned, even though he had a really, you know, uh, just a couple starts ago, it, it looked real bad. But against Detroit, he struck out ten in five innings. That was Detroit. This is Tampa Bay. And against Tampa Bay this year, hasn't done great. At least in June, he got rocked. Uh, had a no decision in that game. And that's been his only game against Tampa Bay so far. Uh, we ended up winning that one in 11 innings against Luis Patino, who has not done that well. He has had a couple good game starts, but hasn't played against Boston yet. He had a three-hitter against the Yankees, struck out eight and six innings. That's hands in the air for me. I I don't know. Because are you going to get like a good Luis Patino or a bad Luis Patino? Are we going to get a good Erod or a bad Erod? I just don't know. I'm going to say we're going to get a good Erod because the pressure's on. He thrives on that. He is coming off of a, a decent outing. So where it's somewhat of a favorable pitching matchup, I will lean on Erod this time and, and give the Red Sox a win. But we have to hit. We definitely have to hit. So I'm going to go and agree with you on this one. And the reason for that is because um, I'm a Red Sox fan. And I just I can't go with someone who's just not proven. And Patino's not proven yet. And it, it's still early. Um, I think that Erod can build on last performance. He has got to get his value up. Because if he doesn't, he's in big, big trouble. Um, I like Erod in this one. I'm praying that we get six innings out of him. We need him to do well in this series. We really need a win here. He's going to need some run support, and I think that's going to be the theme throughout the series. Uh, in game two, extremely favorable. Nathan Avoldi versus uh, Yarbrough. What's his first name? We've killed it's him. It's Ryan. Ryan Yarbrough. We've destroyed yeah. him. It, Every three time. games this year. Yeah. yeah, he's gotten shellacked. Every and the time. crazy, the funny thing is he's actually 0-1 and he's got shelled three times against Boston. That's what's amazing about it is in three games against Boston – he got shelled uh, in July, and they ended up winning the game. Uh, in June, they lost. That was the extra inning game where they lost 9-5, to five, and then they lost the first one in April. He just got destroyed. He gave up nine runs in five innings, but only six were earned. He's since calmed down, um, but it's, it's like beast or famine. Are we getting a good game or a crap game out of you? He's had three of the last five be good. He's faced Toronto twice. Toronto's good. So I'd love to go Ivaldi and feel confident about it. I'm actually going Ivaldi because I just don't think that Yarbrough is going to be able to hack it. And I'm probably going to be eating my words on this one. But I'm actually going to say the Red Sox are going to win this series because we just need a win. We need it. So I'm saying Red Sox win game two. I'm going to pick the Red Sox in game two as well. And then game three also kind of favorable because Nick Pavetta pitches very well. That's his best team basically. So, uh, and he's going up against Josh Fleming. I don't have, you probably can pull up Fleming's numbers on the Red Sox, yeah. but Fleming, not one start, not an overwhelming uh, guy. Certainly not like a McClanahan type guy who mowed us down last week. So, I mean, I feel weird saying this, but, this could be this could be a sweep. <laughs> this could be a sweep. 
And if that does happen, we're one game back all of a sudden. So, so with, are you going on the record saying sweep? With Chris Sale in the next start. Nope, because I'm not that brave. I'm going to say we're going to take two out of three. Two out of three. Okay, so I'm actually going to say the same exact thing. Uh, Pavetta did not do well against Tampa Bay uh, just a couple of weeks ago. He did, however, throw six and two-thirds of no-hit baseball against Tampa Bay in June. So I would be a fool to discount that and say nay-nay. But the Red Sox managed to squander that game, and we lost one nothing, which was awful. But I, like you, will say two out of three because if you can at least win the series, you build on your regular season. We need to get this series win back, boys. We really do. If any of you guys are listening, please, please don't make me sound foolish. Let my 10th series be straight, and let's win this one two out of three. The Potentially a sweep, but I, I will say two out of three. And I think there is some potential for them to do a number on our bullpen if it's a close game. So I think there's, um, you know, there's a little bit of instability in, in that area. So I'll say that. Pavetta, if you go back to April, I think he had a no-hitter going through four or five innings at least. So... Um, that, that was obviously almost what, three, four months ago at this point, but, but we are catching them at a favorable time. And then we have Baltimore next with Chris sale starting game two of that series. So we will see what happens. And on that note, we will wrap and we've got hot take Tuesday coming out in 24 hours hours so be on the lookout for that episode and then following that one will be the thursday night recording to discuss what did happen against the tampa bay race everybody have a good start to your week take care